episode of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we're discussing Season 7, Episode 4, which is titled Benton Backwards. The episode aired on November 2nd in the year 2000. Lauren, what was going on that week 22 years ago? First, I have to comment, this is an awful goddamn episode title. Holy shit. Yeah, this is not their best work. <laughs> Like as is, I mean, you can see what they were going for, but doesn't like, make it good. That doesn't make it good. Yeah, not not <laughs> the first thought is not always the best thought. The, oh. the only the only lazier episode title I think I've ever seen from the show it was the one from season one where it was just the date of the episode that it aired, like Feb five ninety five. Like that yeah. was I think the 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 only superiorly lazy episode title to this one. Also, I think I need the first idea isn't always the best idea tattooed on me somewhere because holy shit. Just on the back of your hand so you can just like see it all the time. The first idea is not always the the best best idea. idea. Like making this podcast. No, that was not the first idea. So (laughs) It's not always the best idea. Exactly. Because I feel like shit today. Wee. Oh boy. So gang, we're going to have Lizzie weekend at Bernie's and over here. Daniel can just do a super cut of Lizzie's audio and we will be fine. (laughs) But with that, the headlines are... The first full long-term crew of the International Space Station has arrived. The crew, composed of one American and two Russians, spent 137 days aboard the station, conducted a wide range of tasks, including station assembly, science experiments, and filming the first-ever IMAX documentary shot in space. Narrated by Tom Cruise. There okay. you go. Just, I just, it was Space Station 3D, as was the title of the title of the documentary. It's 47 minutes long. I would have expected Tom Hanks. He's usually the go-to yep. space Tom for... Long Tom. <laughs> uh, Meet the Parents is apparently scarier than the newcomer, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, as it retains box office crown for its fourth and final week. It, and Come On Over Baby, All I Want Is You by Christina Aguilera is the number one song for third eight week in a row. It's okay, Daniel. We're going to get a worse movie that's the king for three weeks in a row. So Blair, Blair Witch, one of the exceptions that proves the rule. Uh, sometimes the first idea is the best idea, and you should just stop there and quit yeah. while you're ahead. Don't do the second one. You don't hey, need to do it, more. It, it only lost out by like less than a, mil- by like a million dollars. So. Oof. Yikes. As for what else was on that evening at 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with the Engagement Picture. At 8.30, Cursed with the episode And Then He Gave Her Some Old Linguini. Is that what the kids are calling it those days? Sure, apparently. Uh, I feel like we're in for a wild ride with some of these episode titles from Cursed uh, during its brief Cursed 15-episode run. At 9 p.m., Will and Grace with the episode Grace Zero, Jack 2000. And at 9.30, Just Shoot Me with the episode Donnie Returns. Don't know who Donnie is. Don't know why he's back. Uh, this week's episode had 27.8 million viewers tuning in, directed by Richard Thorpe, doing his 13th out of 31. Uh, previous ones of his from last season included The Fastest Year, Abbey Road, and The Peace of Wild Things. And written by first-time writer Dee Johnson, doing her first of 19 through 2005. She is best known as a producer on the TV series Nashville, The Good Wife, uh, which... You two are still watching? Question mark. We're like five episodes into it. It's gonna, right. it's gonna be a while. Uh, and Melrose Place. We're watching like one or two episodes a week. That's yeah. fair. If that, it's a good show though. Anyway, uh, getting back to ER, also a good show. Our previously on is brought to us by Carrie this week, and we're gonna open with an audio clip here. Uh, ben- the recently unemployed Dr. Peter Benton is on the phone with some prospective job offers. Well, if you'd like, I could come in for another interview. As a matter of fact, I could come in this morning. 
Yes, I know, but you said you were interested. Well, you, actually, you said you were very interested. Right, but if you could just... Well, Right. Uh, thank you. Want some breakfast? No. Going over applications? Yep. I thought you took the position at Loyola. Withdrawn. Why? I don't know, Cleo. Maybe because I took another job somewhere else. Have you tried Northwestern? Fully staffed. UFC? What do you think? Right now, I think you're being an ass. You barely say anything, and when you do, it's rude. I talk to you, Cleo. Not about this. Why don't you let me help you? I don't need your help, all right? I need a damn job. Should have left county when I had a chance. Coming off just a touch thirsty there, Pete. Like, you're just a little... I can come in today. Or, you know, are you interested? You seem interested. Like, it just... Eh, maybe just, like, ease off the gas. Just just a little bit. Like I think maybe it's just because we're millennials and we're used to not talking about jo- uh, to prospective employers quite like that <laughs> or talking to prospective employers it's at true, all before, before you actually sit down in front of them in an interview yeah uh but yeah i don't know it just comes off as a little a little bit desperate on uh benton's part there but i but he is a little desperate so if and there's it's... plenty of other hospitals in in the chicagoland area yeah they do sort of make it seem as though his only choices are these four places or leaving the state entirely. Like, yeah, like there's plenty of other like medium-sized hospitals. Well, I think part of it is he he's looking at teaching hospitals is what we're led to believe here based off the hospitals listed sure. by, by the two of them. And then something later on in the episode where we hear that Romano has essentially shit on his name so he thinks he can't get in anywhere. That's why he makes the move he makes later, I Bet think. You right, you sure. Even call Rush. What well, yeah, and, and like they've mentioned before, uh, you know, him going to possibly Minnesota for some stuff, like the Mayo Clinic is mm-hmm. here. That's like a huge, like, hospital employer and like i'm sure there's a teaching component to that like it's just yeah. it just seemed like a very like well, big escalation to go from like these four places won't hire me i must move halfway across the country well and the other thing too is um with us joking like wow you're a little thirsty it's also this was still pre-internet applications for everything like he would have true these in he would have you know faxed these in there would have been a little bit more of a personal application compared to how we're used to applying to everything. Right. It wouldn't have just been, I'm going to post my resume on, on Indeed and hope for the best. Like, he would have been actively seeking out and contacting these um, hiring sure. parties. So I will say that with a grain of salt. And especially if he's at the stage now where he's already theoretically interviewed with some of them and he had an offer, mm-hmm. then it maybe makes a little bit more sense. I just want to say that because I know having been on the job search grind relatively recently like it's really disheartening oh it so, is oh it, yeah. it can absolutely grind you into dust for sure so just throwing that out there not looking forward to getting back to that eventually one step at a time let's let's get you back to having a back first that's true anyway what happened next Carter is shooting hoops in the ambulance bay because we've got to let some traditions live on. Of course. And we find out he's finally allowed to work on traumas, but only two patients at a time. Keep his caseload light and manageable. And we hear Abby has been assigned to the ER without Carrie consulting with her first to see if she even wants to be. Great. <laughs> okay. Cool. So we're all having a normal one. Um, the first trauma comes in. It's a 50-year-old male found unconscious in the park. Uh, he's begun arresting. 
And of course, they make several comments on his size as they treat him because this is ER in the early aughts. Why not? I need to note whose films are those. And a bunch of pigeons burst from the patient's clothes as they cut them open because who knows why, but I love how everybody's like, where'd the pigeons come from? It's a great visual. It's though. a really <laughs> excellent visual. Um, Malucci asks Carter if he wants to play hockey tonight because one of his uh, one of his buddies that he plays with dropped out. And we are in with bangs. Because those pigeons just rush out the drama. So. For, Jake, for Jake, yes. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to say it, but here we are. Um, anyway, let's... After the intro, we got uh, Abby filling Mark in on some patients and shares. Um, there apparently there was just a big oopsie at a salon. Some beauty contestants, some chemicals were released that shouldn't have been or something. They, they mixed they mixed coloring agents wrong or something, something like and that, they yeah. caused an explosion. So there's a lot of there's a lot of beauty contestants around. Uh, I'm sure all the men the men are all very happy Ugh. about it. Um, but our primary patient from this that we're going to focus on, is, her name is Audrey Hoffman. She has smoke inhalation and burns on her legs. And we learn all this beauty contest stuff was from the Miss Tri-State pageant. And uh, our contestant here, Audrey, is played by actress Carrie Lynn Pratt, who appeared in stuff like America's Sweethearts, A Single Man, and Drive Me Crazy. Uh, and we see Malik... Uh, walking by checking one of the contestants out and uh runs accidentally runs into Hale and malucci and uh, i believe it's Hale who asked how many mm-hmm. times how many times are you going to walk by with the same cart which like like you said is uh the the male uh staff is probably pretty happy about the the uh group in the er today but i will say this is pretty much all they do with that yeah uh particular mm-hmm. uh li- sort of there's but, like, one or two more but yeah it's a it's it's a nice uh like this is a nice, like, soft introduction. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not too over the top. Um, it, it makes Malik kind of the butt of the joke, and I like that. Yep. Um, Malucci's still uh, trying to find a spot for his hockey team, and oh boy, I was like, we're we're just diving, like, we're diving in headfirst uh, to the uh, unpleasantness of the next two seasons, aren't we? Like, we're four episodes yeah. in. We are four episodes into the season, and already this is what we're doing. I forget right. that my second favorite episode of the season is is episode 10 mm-hmm. and where part the first major surgery occurs right and like they, they don't really waste much time at all yeah. uh with getting to that but i did uh, love malik's line do i look like i play hockey yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah malucci's gonna be on the hunt for uh, a replacement player pretty much uh, all episode but uh, malucci passes a patient off to chen who he says is quote cute daddy material uh chen's mom has been on hold for 10 minutes and i do like that when she comes to the phone she still refers to her mother as mommy like (laughs) it's very uh and then frank uh, stops to give carrie her messages because she's off to a seminar today uh so she's uh, telling frank to remind him have him remind her to leave on time today Mm -hmm. uh carrie then gives carter another patient a guy who cut his hand on a tin can first of all ow Mm. Uh, <laughs> someone who doesn't love talking about getting their hands cut by things ow uh, and then she uh, reminds Carter that that better be uh, his one of two patients uh, that he's working on right now because he is limited to two and we're going to dive right into our next audio clip here Benton is uh, chasing down a prospective employer you have a minute uh, unfortunately, I'm on my way to a conference and I'm very late. Well, I'll make this quick. I'd like to discuss with you the faculty position here. I really have to go. I just need a minute. 
I apologize for bothering you like this, but... After you turned us down, we offered it to someone else. Well, has it been accepted? Well, not officially. Well, then you can withdraw it. Our candidate's credentials are excellent. Well, so am I. And he comes with positive recommendations. And I don't? I'm not at liberty to discuss your current standing. Which means Romano said something, didn't he? I can't get into this. No, what did he tell you? Uh, Dr. Benton. No, I need to know what that man said and who he said it to. You may have difficulty finding work locally. Uh, That's all I can say. I'm sorry. Not great. So much for pounding the pavement. Shake it with giving people a firm handshake. <laughs> oh boy. I I am so not looking forward to you going back to job hunting while we're podcasting just because our entire episodes are just gonna you be. You don't need to know. Like, oh yeah, but yeah, like, oh yeah. What were you doing? Oh yeah, I just worked on creative projects. No, 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 no. I mean because while we're recording, you're just gonna go pound in the pavement, firm handshakes. Yes. Just just given my applicant like I just yeah. the bitterness is just, just go gonna... talk to the manager. Yeah. Demand That's a job. More why. Jesus Christ. Because <sighs> they're still boomers. Were you uh were you able to tell at all where they could seem like that seemed like an on location Chicago shot where it you, definitely you... was Lauren oh. <laughs> has some thoughts. I am like 80% sure and I need like I need to watch the lobby again but mm-hmm. like the outside of that building I was like 80% sure for a moment that it was outside of my work but I need to watch it again but that very much looked like my work building though I don't even know if my work building was finished in 2000 so I could be very wrong I thought we've said we've seen it a couple times so uh the yeah the according to itsfilmsthere.com uh the uh spot that they are here is uh 11 East Grand Avenue in Chicago they're on the North Wabash Avenue side of the building Definitely not my work though yeah. The um the outside sidewalk and the pillars and everything just like the patterning looked very similar so I would imagine a lot of like high well, rise buildings in Chicago are like similarly nondescript like could easily be mistaken for one another well, some of them, like certain like plazas and stuff like mine, there is very specific patterning near mm, the walkways and sure. stuff. And like there is one of those um, kind of overhead walkways like they're, they're at outside. Okay. I know where it is. I know where I pay. I, I know what building we're talking about here. <laughs> I pass by that up building all the time. Okay. Well, Which there one you is go. it? Uh, it's right off the grand, the, when you go up the escalator and the grand, off the grand red line stop. It's Maybe. that building that's like right there has a Starbucks in the lobby. It's right there. Maybe that's why it, I, it was so familiar to me, and my brain just thought it must yeah. be work. Yeah, it's right across from all of the hotels that are all along Grand Avenue. I got you. Um, but that being said, poor Benton, this is not great. <laughs> this this, this is, today is not his day. This whole episode is not his day. It's only gonna get worse. It's almost like Romano is a douchebag. Oh, you think? Jake Jake was telling us all along. Um, then a patient wanders over to Carrie, talking about being shipped out and other um, military jargon. And we learn that he has no history of dementia. This just started a few days ago. He's in from his nursing home. Um, his name is Mr. Mellingston. Yeah, which I don't know that we get that here, but I wrote it down here because that's what the character's name was on imdb and he is played by uh alan young who appeared in uh old-timey hollywood guy um but also a major voice actor as well um shout out to laser time because this is a chris antista special right here uh he appeared in the tv series mr ed the time machine and he was the voice of scrooge mcduck on (gasps) ducktales uh for its entire run except for the 
the, the reboot recently. Yeah. Um, but 113 credits to his name, and he did pass away in 2016. Mm. Uh, and also just absolutely adorable little old man here. He's yes. so good in this episode. Um, we go over to Carter with his tin can man. Uh, the guy says the tab broke when he was opening a can of tuna, and so it got slippery, which then he made his hand slip. And the guy and Carter's like, well, why why don't you choose a can opener? And he's like, then what's the tab for? I mean, he's yeah. got a point. Like, if yeah. I have a tab can, I'm gonna open it that way. Yeah. Um. But then while he's treating this patient, Abby comes in and is looking for something, and Carter just asks her if she's going to the 8 p.m. meeting. He doesn't specify a meeting. But yeah. I'm just saying. Like, it's, he just says, are you going to the 8 p.m.? I'm just saying. It's, it's both a it's both a cover, but it's like a like a small talk cover thing but it's also kind of a little bit of a passive aggressive thing because because she happens to walk in right as he's about to inject this guy with the uh anesthetic uh mm-hmm. to do the nerve block and so like it's kind of a similar type of situation to what she walked into when he was injecting the fentanyl into his wrist like she walks into the room and he's got a syringe full of sh- drugs in his hand and so it's it's an awkward moment that he doesn't react to in the best way and so, like, he just I, – I think it's kind of a little bit of a passive-aggressive, like, lash out by him where he's just sort of like, hmm, don't forget, you're a drunk, too. Like, I, I so didn't read that that way. I thought he was just being weird with Abby and just wanted to know – I mean, I think that's part of it, too. Guy. I think it's I think he, it's a weird situation, and he's trying to, like, small talk his way out of it. But I also could read it as, like, just him being a little bit of a dick. But mm. uh, I also want to point out to the like, which again, the show is not filmed to be watched on a modern, a modern TV. Like you're not going to see as much detail on the, uh, on smaller screens at lower resolutions as you are today on, you know, like 55, 60 inch TVs, HD. Um, but he like, <laughs> he does the best he can to block the syringe with his thumb, like the tip of his thumb so that you don't see where it should be uh, injected into the guy's hand. Um, but if you look closely, he's just like spritzing the liquid onto the guy's palm yep. and it's just dripping down. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, you tried. Uh, moving on then, Chen is working out a little boy uh, who has had some weird bruises show up in the last day or two. I believe the condition he has is called Neiman Picks. Yes. Something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but it's leading to a very unhappy spleen that needs to be removed. Uh, Mark overhears Chen mentioning the removal of the spleen, but is not happy of how she did it because. This young boy's condition is end stage and terminal. Not great. So, yeah, terminal and end stage, however you want to phrase that. Like, I like how we're trying to make this the most fraught pregnancy possible for Chen. Like, we're just going to give her all the unhappy yeah. uh, children patients. Here's everything that could possibly I, go wrong with your child. I did not even think about that. <laughs> like, we're on a real roll with that here lately, where it's just like, we're just going to torture Chen throughout her entire pregnancy. Uh, and the mother of the young boy here is played by actress Cynthia Mann, who is best known for a recurring role on TV series Friends, uh, where she played the waitress. That was literally her credit. But uh, given how, like, 90s quirky that show is, I'm left to assume the Friends stands, I'm sure, will uh, uh, inform me uh, differently uh, that that was probably a significant recurring character. But uh, we then go over to Abby and Luca in the drug closet, uh, taking a page out of the Doug and Carol playbook. Uh, he, uh, they're, they're being like sort of awkward after their, uh, little, their, their little smooch at the end of last episode. And, uh, they're trying to work through it. He takes a feather from her hair and then she kind of stammers through asking him out on a date and it's very cute. 
uh, and he uh, thinks about it for a second, and then he's like, how about tonight? Which is just like, come on, guys, you're working 12-hour shifts. Like, you're both going to be smelly, like, tired. Like, maybe just do it on Friday night or something. Like, maybe just, like, give it a couple of days. Or or since you work weird hours, just do, like, a, a Saturday brunch. Right. Or, or hey, you want to go over and get coffee at the fucking diner across the street? Like, yeah. let's make this work. Like, we don't have to do a whole big, big deal right after our shift where we're both tired. Like, last thing I want to do after I'm uh, after I've worked a 12 hour shift getting bled on and spit on and all that shit. Like, last thing I want to do is going on a date. Now let's go to our next audio clip then. Uh, Benton's trying to figure out what the hell's going on. So he's at County and talking to Romano. Romano. Peter, back for a visit. How are you? How the hell do you think I am? Well, judging by your demeanor, I'd say you're a tad dyspeptic. You've been trashing me all over town? Oh, having trouble landing a job, huh? Yeah, thanks to you. Oh, I'm offended. Peter, you've made enemies on every floor of this hospital. Why assume I'm the only person with something negative? You're say? preventing me from earning a living. No, no, actually, I'm willing to help. What? Look, your personality sucks. But you don't have to prove to me that you're a great surgeon. Now, I am willing to offer you a pretty position. Yeah. It has no benefits and even less stature, but uh, it's yours for the asking. You can kiss my ass. I take it that's a no? You couldn't pay me enough to work for you again, you arrogant little prick. Fair enough. Just keep working on those people skills, Peter. Oh, that had to feel good for Benton. Everybody wants to put a shitty boss in their place. Of course. Always. Mm. How do we feel about this per diem offer, though? It's a slap in the face. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Which totally it's meant to be. right. It's totally Romano, like, trying to have his cake and eat it, too. Like, because he, he knows that he needs Benton and he knows that Benton is sort of he would be a tremendous loss to the hospital. But he also wants him to, you know, kind of step back in line like he wants him to be under his complete control. Be a team player. Whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Be a part of the family. <laughs> <laughs> I was dri- uh, I was at a drive-through for a Taco Bell recently, and they had a, a we're hiring thing in the the window, and it was said something to that effect of like join our, fam. join our family, and yeah. I was like fuck that, <laughs> like yeah. of all Any the places com- I've ever worked at where it was like oh we're a family, I mean which you know I've had coworkers I've worked with before who were like family at a certain point, but I can promise you it was not at a Taco Bell. <laughs> like, of all the jobs where we would foster the family culture, I promise you it would not be at Taco Bell. I was going to say any job that any job offer that says or any application place, whatever, any job listing that says, oh, yeah, join our family. That just nope. means they're going to try to exploit you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're going to take all your good interpersonal skills and generosity and wring it until you're dry and have no soul left. Uh, so then Kim is back. She compliments Carrie on her blouse. Gay. Um, also, they're wearing the same color. I didn't know if you guys noticed that, but they were both in shades of purple. Also gay. Also gay. Um, the older <laughs> gentleman, Mr. Melanson, has a UTI, uh, and the nursing home has already given his bed away. Shit. Um, yeah, I want to know what the fucking nursing home this is. Shitty one. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, they were like, if you just send someone to the ER for some for. A fever. For a fever or whatever. Like, then you just give their bed away. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, all your... You have nowhere to live now. What the fuck? But um, Kim suggests the VA might be able to help out, which Carrie's like, oh, duh. You're right. They might. So this uh, 
goes places. Uh, <laughs> Benton then stops down by the ER and begs Carrie for a position down there, saying he could act as a surgical liaison, basically. <laughs> hey, you know what? The man's trying, okay? He's laughing at my pronunciation. Yeah, liaison. Liaison. But, uh-huh. um, but yeah, and he's like, he's like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And Carrie's like, you spent your entire time trying to poach things up to surgical. Why would I hire you to help now? Also, no, I don't have the money. It would have to go through Romano's budget. Yeah, you know what I'm sort of realizing too is that they're sort of um, they're sort of redoing the Doug exit playbook a little bit, where like we're gonna do the false exit, where like he he pretends to have to leave for some logistical reason, which in this case is you know uh, he got fired, air quotes, and you know it's circumstances are gonna lead him to take a job out of state, and then he's you know whatever. Yep. But like. <laughs> And then, of course, he will eventually leave for, you know, family reasons, which, again, it, it changes at that point because there, there's no uh, death of a child involved. But, like, I just it's funny how they're, like, kind of taking the same formula and just tweaking it ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Chen has called Romano down for a consult on the little boy with the angry spleen. And he does not consent to performing surgery because, like we said, the boy is terminal. So he's like, why would I put the boy and his mother through this if it's not going to prolong or improve his quality of life to any meaningful point? Yeah, I think that's the, the big point is that it's not going to improve the quality of life. It would prolong his life. Right. But, I mean, it would just be months more in a hospital. Right. Right. And it's, But and, it is odd to hear that coming from Romano, to hear him say, like, I'm not doing this for these emo- these ostensibly emotional reasons of, like, it's not going to benefit the boy and it's not going to benefit the family versus him saying, like, it's not a good investment or it's not, you know, I think, economically prudent. I, I think he's coming from it's not a good investment, but these emotional reasons are why. It's just, like, right. he's not – it's not going to give life for our money, essentially. Yeah. Um, but then we have – Mark is working on little Audrey Hoffman – and the burns on her legs are visible, and she's super concerned about it for the swimsuit competition portion of the pageant. Which I'm amazed they wouldn't just give them all a pass or reschedule after like a third of the of the um, competitors were in burn accidents <laughs> right. at the this beauty salon. The show must go on. You're right. Any sacrifice for beauty. So Mark, Mark listens to her concerns and helps treat her, and we'll come back to that in a bit. Then, uh, oh boy, Mark asks Malucci if he's found anyone for the hockey game because we learn he used to play varsity's second line. <laughs> and here's the here, here's the continuity police checking in uh, to uh, point out that uh, back in, I think, season two, maybe? It's it's either two or three because it, is, it involves Susan. Um, him and Susan and Rachel... Uh, go ice skating and he uh, says to uh, Susan that uh, he doesn't know how to skate uh, which is impressive considering that he apparently played varsity hockey in college (laughs) so maybe he was maybe he went to what's the one from community maybe he went to Greendale Community College maybe their maybe their varsity hockey team uh, you can you can get on the team without play, uh, knowing how to skate. But uh, uh, I'm gonna say something really heartless. Um, you know, maybe that tumor is really affecting his memory more than he thought. Spoilers. Also, yeesh. Yeah, you can cut that, Daniel. That was bad, even <laughs> no, for me. No, that's that's wow. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Carter comes into a trauma. There's multiple gunshot wounds to the chest. Uh, Luke is in there working on them with him, and Mr. Melanson is watching in the hallway. Uh, Carter is doing a central line, and Mr. Melanson is clearly reliving 
trauma from Vietnam. And uh, he panics about Carrie's mention of the VA and hugs Carrie in a panic. And I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure based on his age and what Frank said earlier in the episode, I'm pretty sure he's probably having Korea. Korea. Yeah, yeah, but I I said Vietnam because somewhere in the episode he does mention Vietnam specifically. Yeah, all right. So maybe like in passing, but they do note later that it was the Korean War that he was involved in specifically. So here I put Vietnam because that's what we'd heard mention of earlier, but later they clarified Korea. Just to that's fair. But but his panic is that they can't take me. You can't let them take me. Remember, yeah. she's at lobob92345 on Twitter, <laughs> so you can add her. He's, he, or on the Discord. He's been he's been through some shit. Yeah, we have a whole channel on the Discord corrections department. Uh, nobody uses it, but it's there. Because uh, <laughs> we're awesome. We don't, need, uh, we don't need to. But uh, we go from there. Chen is in to talk to Kenneth's mom and tell her, uh, break the news to her that they cannot operate uh, because her excuse on this, despite what um, you know Romano she, she doesn't really get into the details of what Romano said, but her the way she sells it to the mother here is that uh, his chances of surviving the surgery are not great. Uh, but mom is convinced that he is uh, still, you know, aware. And every, I guess he's been, like, squeezing her hand and stuff. And so, like, she's convinced that he's uh, still has quality of life worth saving. Um, and is it here or later where she gives the little speech to, to Chen where she's like, I, I know what you think. I know you think I'm being selfish. I think here. Yeah. So like, I like that they kind of call that out a little bit because that was sort of my, my feelings at this point in the episode where I was like, this lady's kind of got a little bit of like main character energy where she just thinks that like, you know, l- l- sort of like what we started to go down with that, um, with in sand and water where it was like, Oh, maybe this is a miracle. And it's like, no, you know, like it's just, uh, so I, I, I like that they kind of address that head on. Um, but, uh, we go t- over to, uh, Carter and Luca working on the gunshot wound, uh, patient. Her heart is not filling with blood. Uh, and Carter, uh, or, uh, Luca calls for the internal paddles after mm-hmm. they, uh, crack her chest open. And Carter says, uh, you can't shock an empty heart. You'll never get her back. And, uh, before they go to shock her, Carter starts checking the back of the heart and sees an exit wound in the left ventricle and repairs the tear so that Luca can shock her in a very weird little bit of framing, which I assume was intentional. Um, but they have Luca and Carter each holding one of the paddles, which I've never, I've never seen them do. And I don't know that you'll ever see happen again, where two doctors each hold one of the paddles across the gurney. It's, and it's not even that it's like that awkward of a positioning. Luca could easily reach his other hand over and grab the one Carter's holding. So I don't know why they chose to do it that way. Maybe because it's like some kind of like framing thing of like, well, they were Mm -hmm. both working on it. They're both equally responsible for saving this patient's life, yada, 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 whatever. But it was just an odd, like Jen and I were both watching it and we were like, this is weird. Like good catch. I w- I had I missed that. She one uh one nurse gen catch that uh, I forgot to mention earlier. Um when Mark is talking to the um beauty contestant uh when she's mm-hmm. talking about her burns on her legs and how she's nervous about the she apparently on the monitor behind her uh, if you look at the heart rhythm on the monitor behind her, she's fully in VTAC and th- and would be like <laughs> fucked up. Like she was like, <laughs> she we're watching the episode and Jen goes all of a sudden she looks at it and she's like, why is she in VTAC? <laughs> so I'm gonna have to go back and check that after this. Uh, but there, Kim follows up with Carrie and Mr. Melanston. Uh, we find out that he could get a bed from the VA, but it would be in the brig. Because he's AWOL from the Korean War, 
And because the VA is so helpful, they just went ahead and notified the military without even figuring out what was going on. So this, like, 72-year-old man is going to go to prison. Yeah, 72-year-old man with clear, like, dementia or and or some other cognitive problem. Yeah, it, it made it sound like the dementia was a secondary symptom of something else that was going on based off his medical history that we got Fair. at the beginning of the episode. Either so. way, a man who is He's not, not great. In, yeah, yeah, not in his right mind. And I mean, I like the military does a lot of shitty stuff, don't get me wrong, but like I I don't think uh based on based on my very limited experience as a uh you know, spouse and just seeing seeing how certain things get handled up close, like I don't think they would really bother to prosecute somebody who had deserted seven like 50 years ago and was in their 70s and was not like not of right sound in mind like they would they would be like oh okay cool glad we know what happened but n- not to the point where they were going to waste time and re- that like that's a lot of paperwork for somebody to go through <laughs> to get somebody to chase down somebody who is uh not doesn't even really know what's going on all right and let's uh, go to our next audio clip speaking of wanting to trash your boss uh lizzie's up in her office working on some paperwork when benton goes by for a visit hey peter what are you doing here did you get any of my messages yes uh and i meant to call you i've just been incredibly busy uh i just didn't know what to say yeah that's okay no, no, it's not okay. I've been avoiding you for days. Yeah, I got that. I'm sorry. What Robert did was wrong, and I've told him as much. I just wish there was something I could do. Yeah, well, I didn't exactly expect you to resign in protest. That's a relief. <laughs> there is something you can do, though. You can put the word out. I know you've got a lot of contacts out of the hospitals. Yeah, of course. I'm surprised you haven't been snapped up already. Yeah, well, it seems that lately my reputation has taken a hit. He's a horrid little turd, isn't he? <laughs> you know what? I spoke with a friend of mine in Philadelphia who's looking for someone. I just wasn't sure you'd care to move. At this point, I'm open to anything. Dr. Benton, they need you in the ER. I no longer work at this hospital. Weaver called. Your sister Jackie is down there. Even though I knew this wasn't the episode, I still got very concerned when I heard that line. I was like, yes. I, did I was like, <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's not. Also, in in the pantheon of great Lizzie Corday lines. <laughs> horrid little turd. Yeah, horrid little turd <laughs> is just 10 out of 10 chef's kiss. Uh, I want to hear I want to hear a friend of the show Franner's delivery on that one. <laughs> horrid little turd. Oh, man. Because her accent would give a completely different spin on it, and it would be just as beautiful. That's true. That is true. Oh, man. When did she have time to make all these contacts? Like, is what I want to right? know. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. she... Okay, so it's, so it's not just... when they Well, because when they do the whole storyline in, like, what, season five, I think, where she's her fellowship is going to be taken away, or whatever her thing is called, I forget. Um, like, they make it seem like she has no other option stateside. Like, she has no choice if this well, falls through. Well, it's been two years since then. You can develop well, a good reputation in two years and network and go to conferences sure. and yada, yada, yada. It, not impossible, but it did just sort of seem like conveniently for the sake of the, the narrative that all of a sudden Corday was like this master of networking and she had all these connections Casual exposition or whatever. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, Peter, you'd think, would have just as many, if not more, in the, like 
almost 10 years that he's probably been in the in the like professional medical world and like would have maybe all he only cultivated in chicago because he never thought he'd leave true true it's uh you, you don't know um but yeah still love that line read horrid little turd uh, but we go from there uh, to probably the most upsetting scene in the entire episode here. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Carter is uh, working on getting the uh, GSW girl ready for transport up to the OR uh, when uh, a young girl comes in claiming to be her sister. Uh, and uh, just as Carter is like, oh, okay, well, here's what's going on about it. The girl just pulls out a gun and pow, 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 fires several more times, blows the girl's brains out. Uh, immediately, Carter is, like, doused in blood uh, all over his lab coat. Um, and everybody comes rushing back into the room. Of course, the, the girl hightails it out of there. Uh, everybody comes rushing back into the room and tries to, like, pick up where they left off and try to save the patient. And Carter, in his, like, completely dazed like if he didn't have ptsd before from the the stabbing he certainly does now like my man has got like level 10 ptsd uh he says the pupil her pupils are fixed and dilated and there's gray matter everywhere and that the other girl blew her brains out and he just kind of like dazed staggers out of the room and damn I forgot this happened. <laughs> so like this was the this this like came completely out of left field for me. Like I completely forgot about this uh little twist here. So I forgot that it was Carter's first episode my first like trauma day back is when it happened. Yeah. Talk about a trauma day. <laughs> I'm out. Well, too bad because you're next, so you ah, can't be shit. out. All right. Well Ben's che- down in the yard checking on Jackie. Uh turns out his nephew Jesse got into a fight. And got his head slammed into a locker. Cleo was working on him, and Benton asks about getting a CT when Benton pulls Jackie away for some coffee. And who plays Jesse here? We got a new Jesse here. Because uh, <laughs> we, we have to, it's like contractually obligated. We have to keep changing up the uh, uh, Peter, niece, and nephew lineup every time uh, they, sh- they pop up. Uh, so Jesse here is played by actor Andrew McFarlane, who appeared in stuff like Dance Flick uh, and The West Wing. And he is making his first of two appearances. Uh, the other one, you can probably guess what it is. Um, and yeah. Uh, and I can't remember. Was it? Uh, is it here where they're walking down the hall and they're talking and we get an actual mention of uh, Walt for the first time in years? I, I think it's here. It's a little. It's the next. I was like, I, as I was watching it, I was like, hey, Walt. Remember him? Um. But then Luca goes and checks on Carter in the bathroom where Carter's trying to clean up a little bit. We find out they found the shooter. She's only 15. And he tells Carter to go home and that he'll let Carrie know. But just, like, he's like, you shouldn't be here. Go, go decompress. Like, this is a bad day for everyone. Um, Benton. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm just, uh, like, I'm sort of... um of two minds about the, like I get where everybody's coming from telling him to go home, but I also kind of get mm-hmm. Carter's resistance to want to come home because sometimes the last thing you want to do when you're in a dark place is be left alone with your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, which we see, right. I mean, so I kind of get his resistance or his reluctance to want to leave. Like he's just, I, I'm, 
yeah, being in that place doing that job is maybe not the best thing for him to be doing right now. But I feel like there's a, a happy medium in between where we can get him to go do something else rather than just right. go home go, and replay this incident over and over go, again. Go work on sutures. Go catch up on paperwork. Right. Go, yeah. Um, but then, I'm sorry, here is where um, Benton and Jackie are talking. And Benton tells Jackie that Jesse getting into fights is normal teenage stuff like it's normal for him to be a bit of a jerk um but jackie says it's not normal stuff and that his new girlfriend is part of a rough crowd um and she says like yeah he's you know he's not listening to us he's being disrespectful he shoved walt like just not great um shoved him all the way into the shadow realm yep and she asks peter to talk to him so (sighs) that is episode after next (laughs) Which, we have to deal with that in two episodes. Me? Well, here's, yeah. here's what here's what I'm curious about. Peter theoretically lives with them. Wouldn't he be aware of all this? Is he living with them at this point? No, I thought he's living with Cleo. They don't. They don't really. Yeah, they don't them. really make that clear yet as to, as far as like what peter's living situation is i i wouldn't be surprised if maybe he's like splitting time you know like that that period when a relationship's starting to get serious where you're spending more and more time over at the significant other's place but you haven't officially like air quotes moved in together yet like i know i know the first few months of jen and i's relationship like i had my own apartment but i was there like one day a week for like six hours like i was there long enough to do laundry and, and grab clothes for the week like and then i was gone again we we did not have that because um, I was in a dorm room and then I was living at my parents' house. And then it was like, okay, I'm coming back to Chicago. Should we just move in together for my next semester? So we totally did not have that uh, normal experience. Sure, yeah. Well, everybody's uh-huh. different. Yep. But I, I get you that he could very well be splitting time. Uh, and then Luca and Abby head out excited for their date. They're going to go. Um, she says, I had something more physical in mind. So we'll go find out what that is a little bit later. Uh, Chen is still arguing with different surgeons, trying to get someone to perform a surgery on poor little Kenneth. And Mark says, sometimes as much as we like to give it, hope can be cruel. Which is a good line. Yep. Uh, and Mark officially gets the invite to play hockey tonight. And uh, turns out Kim got a bed at another nursing home for Mr. Mallinson. Uh, said she got the his social security, uh, social security offer. No, she got the social security number to give him a fake ID. Okay, I totally missed that. I thought yeah. she got the number for, like, no, no, no. the nursing home. Yeah. Jesus. Said, said she got the Social Security number so, like, they can, like, disguise his identity uh, off a corpse in the morgue. And apparently they do that a lot. Yeah. Like, she's very, like... <laughs> That's kind of weird. She's very coy about that. And Carrie's like, I don't want to know. Don't tell me. Like, please don't yeah. tell me this. <laughs> she's like, oh, I'll, ex- save you, I'll save you a seat at the conference. That explains why I missed it and thought it was just a phone number. Was nope. cause... It was the Social Security number. New one for Mr. Melanston. I, re- I thought it was bad... I thought it was bad enough that she was just mugging uh, people in the morgue for their, you know, wallets to see if they have, like, nursing home contacts. Yeah, I I really like uh, the way that um, uh, Kim portrays that. Like, I I really love that there's just sort of... And she's walking down the hall with the most late 90s uh, bag of ruffles in her hands, like, with the old logo on it, which I loved. Um, And uh, just, yeah, just her, like, sort of... cavalier attitude towards you know light identity theft like it was really good and also too i like the scene before where we uh when mark gets the official invite where we get to see him and malucci (laughs) doing a little bit of crutch hockey uh in the uh middle of the admit uh, area thought that was cool uh but uh mark 
uh, we find out has called in a favor for Audrey to get the wounds covered for the competition. He introduces this woman as a cosmetologist. Uh, and uh, as they're walking away, Halle's like, yeah, you don't want to tell her that this woman usually does makeup on dead people. <laughs> and the woman they, they find to play this cosmetologist is just perfect casting too. Mm-hmm. Like she's got the like gigantic uh, old people sunglasses, like the kind of like rate, uh, radiation fallout sunglasses that block out all the light Uh, giant oversized black blazer yeah like she's just really like perfectly cast uh but uh, lizzie comes down looking for mark they go into the lounge uh they were gonna go and uh look for art uh for the house tonight uh and he's like oh damn i just agreed to play in a hockey game and she's like what (laughs) and then he says then he says with malucci and she's like what who are you uh <laughs> you can you can bring your sweater and your pom-poms yeah uh and yeah she gets or they get all kind of horny flirty uh about it uh in front of his locker uh and i want to point out there's a name on the uh locker over their head that we've never seen before and i don't think we'll ever see again weintraub uh just one of those things that and I'm like, I'm constantly looking in the background when things are going on because it's like, yeah, I know what's happening here. I don't need to like, I don't care. I'm looking for the dumb shit in the background and uh, the name Weintraub. Never seen it before. Don't think we'll ever see it again. All right, let's go over to our next audio clip here. Carter is home. Uh, he's at in the driveway with a punching bag. Let's see what's going on there. Something happened. No, why? You're home early. Yep. You never leave the hospital early. Someone faxed you my schedule? I know when you left this morning, and I know the kind of hours you put in. Yeah, I was slow, so they sent me home. So it's been all right? Yep. What you expected? Whew. I'm hungry. How about you? Have you eaten? Take you to Dominic's. John. To be honest, I hoped that you would feel so uncomfortable there that you wouldn't want to stay. I know. So that I wouldn't have to ask you not to. Well, then don't. Just give me five minutes, I'll get changed. John, I know your heart is in the right place. I know you enjoy being a doctor. Start a practice. I'm not fighting you on that anymore. Can't we just agree to disagree on this? No, there are other ways to help people. You don't have to destroy yourself. Gamma? That place nearly killed you, John. It killed your friend. It drove you to drugs. No, I did that on my own. You don't owe them anything. You don't have to prove anything. You have a beautiful spirit. I've seen them beat that spirit out of you. Gamma, I'm gonna be fine. I promise. I wish I could believe you. Gamma. I still cannot fathom the level of richness of this family, that him being a doctor is just something that they've had to learn to come to accept. (laughs) It's just a frivolous thing. Right, like this frivolous pursuit of medicine. Like, it's like, what level of rich are we dealing with here? Well, you find out at the end of the series. I guess that's true, yeah. Yeah. So, and also, it really throws me off because I'm sure he's meant to be like referring to like some like nice, gro- like nice, 
restaurant yep. when he says Dominic's. But in the two in it at this time in, in the Chicagoland area, there was a grocery store chain, chain called Dominic's. <laughs> so I'm like, he's just, just like, oh yeah, I'll buy you some pop tarts in the right. The aisle. Like nobody in this household is doing their own cooking, so. <laughs> That's not true. They've made toast. <laughs> They've made toast. Yes, they have made them. They like, have made themselves have, like, in food form. So that just really, um, I don't remember Dominic's enough to know if it had prepared foods or not. But certainly, hey, Mariana's has, has pretty decent prepared. Certainly, foods, uh, so. certainly not that these uh, rich fucks are going to be slumming too. Um, yeah, exactly. Hey, you know what? Jewel chicken is a multi is a multicultural <laughs> experience. So. I will say. Jewel chicken tendies and tater babies. Those are doesn't matter if you make a million dollars a second or, or a penny a second. You you love those I'm things. I'm very hungry right now. So like. sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's take away your appetite. Um, oh, Abby, geez. Abby and Luca are at the bar playing some foosball, and it's very cute. And he's they take a break after Abby kicks his ass, and Luca says, "Next time I choose the sport, something more civilized." And we find out he's currently living in a hotel. He helps the tourists with their medical stuff. And the uh, hotel gives him a break on rent, which I'm sure potentially can't be legal. But okay. Um, But he's very excited because of all the amenities and stuff that he gets. And he says, you should come see it sometime. And she's like, I should come see your hotel room. Mm. And I and I love I love that he goes oh well I'd never ask a thing like that of a lady after only one kiss and then they kiss again and it's very cute. Mm-mm. I'm here for this date. I'm here for this couple. Yeah. Still and, and again I keep waiting for the uh, lack of chemistry to appear because right? there's, there's still plenty of chemistry yeah. here so I don't know what Jake is seeing but maybe it's after the events of this that is thing. Very that's true. fair. So anyway let's. Uh, go back to the ER. Ben and Jesse are having a little chat. Uh, ben asks if him and his him and his new girlfriend are using condoms, and yeah, you know, gotta make sure practice safe sex, people. Because um, he assumes that because she's from a rough crowd, that that yeah. means they're sleeping together. Yeah. Uh, apparently, like Jesse's on like the oh yeah, I'm a man now, and they can't accept that, and I'm like. I want to say, bitch, you're in high school, and, and like, disp- like, if it was not for his height. He would look like he was like ten years old. Like this kid has such a baby face that like it is really hard to take him seriously with the whole "I'm a man now" act. Like it's just like, mm, come yeah. on, come on now. But Benton has dispenses the wisdom that sometimes you got to do what you don't want to do, and that's part of being a man. Hey, because it's like his thing, and then 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 this thing with his thing is his nephew's thing, and then the, the writing. Yeah. It rhymes, George Lucas. Writing. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lit, but Corday calls him aside and says the job in Philly is his if he wants a full attending position on an academic track. And uh, Cleo walks over, and Benton is all excited about it because she is not happy. Sorry for the motorcycle outside. I can't, like, I can't decide. I mean, obviously, I think the thing that she's most unhappy about is the fact that the job is in Philadelphia and that he didn't really, like, think to maybe talk to her about it before you know happily accepting um but i i can't help but think too that part of the thing that she's upset about here is that he was willing to accept help from elizabeth but not him not her when she tried to help him earlier in the episode he was like i don't need your damn help i need a job and now elizabeth comes along with a with some help and he's all too happy to accept and i just feel like that maybe sticks in cleo's craw a little bit 
I mean, she's she's kind of been shut out from this whole process. A little bit. A little bit. You know. Up to and including the writer's room. Oh! Uh, oh. But we go from there to uh, Abby and... To some murder. Abby and Luca on the Riverwalk. Uh, specifically, going back to, again, itsfilmthere.com. Uh, under uh, North Michigan Avenue on Wacker Drive. Cool. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, That's the yeah. place. And uh, so they're they're walking along there, coming down the steps, heading towards the river walk, and he says that uh, that he can't handle losing to a girl. Uh, and then and they immediately get attacked by a guy who's hiding behind one of the little outcroppings there. And uh, he goes to start attacking Abby, or he goes. I don't even. Know the, I mean, yeah. he does. He is attacking her, but really, he just keeps he, saying like, um, "Give me your purse." He's got a pipe. He does have a pipe, and he hit Luca with the pipe first and knocked him out. And then as he's, like, as he's trying to get Abby's purse from her, Luca jumps back into the fray and attacks back, beats the ever-loving shit out of the guy. Uh, You can see blood all over the pavement where his head is hitting. And you can also see, too, that Luca, like, his eyes just sort of glaze over, and dude goes into full, like, PTSD mode and just is, like... I, like my man's right back in the war zone there. Like he, there's no like, there's no distinction between realities there. Uh, it's pretty fucked up. Uh, and our mugger here is played by actor Derek Mears, uh, who played Swamp Thing in the movie Swamp Thing, uh, and also played Jason Voorhees in the Friday the Thirteenth remake uh, from okay. about a decade ago. Uh, he was also in Alita Battle Angel, and he has, uh, he's our high watermark actor for the episode 118 credits to his name and is somehow making his first of two appearances. I can only assume the second one must be a flashback. Uh, no, it's a, uh, morgue. Ah, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Cause I was like, how the hell, like, cause based on what is going to happen over the next, you know, 10 minutes or so, like, how does he make a second appearance? Like my man's brain is pudding right now. Uh, but yeah, so not great, Bob, not a great, not a great way to end their night. No, no. So our murder count is up two for this episode. One self-defense though. It's not fully. Yeah. So, okay. So here is, this is the, I mean, obviously he's not dead yet, but like, this is the, the, the thing that if you listen to the full length, uh, season six wrap up, Jake railed about, about Luca as a murderer and blah, 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 whatever. And so this is the point where he starts to really like have a problem with Luca as a character. And I mean, I think, I think, I mean, honestly, well, I don't know. I mean, to me, it seems, yes, he went like overboard for sure. Yeah. But I also think there is that PTSD component too, where Mm -hmm. I think, I think my dude straight up left his body in that moment. Yep. Yeah. I'm not saying, but I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm not, I'm not saying he didn't, but it's, it's, yeah, it's it's self defense, but it's self defense with a it, little extra spice, like a little. Yeah, it's spicy self defense. Spice and kill, yeah, and the fact that he killed someone. It's it's Doritos Locos self defense. <laughs> Could have just fully knocked him out. He was fully knocked out, but then just went. Splat. Yeah, kind of took it mm. to the next level. So, uh, you know, I can see both sides. I can see where somebody. You know, again, Jake is uh, of a legal mind, so I can see where he's coming from, but I can also see where other people would be coming from reading their kind of strict emotional interpretation of the events and being like, it was self-defense, which it was with a little extra. Anyway, uh, Mark's playing hockey. It's a fun sight to see. I only see it for a couple seconds, but uh, gets checked really hard into the boards. Like, 
and kind of crumples down and Malucci skates over to see if he's okay and he's like Marcus like I thought you said this was a no check league and it's like there's no such thing yes there is <laughs> there's very much a no check there's very much no check leagues that at not, your local ice skating not arena. not in the leagues that Malucci runs in let's just say that well yeah but I did uh, so going back again to the uh, it's filmed their website so apparently for some reason they took the trouble of filming this scene in Chicago too <laughs> Like that, maybe, maybe they're just there. Yeah, yeah I was gonna maybe, say, maybe they, they maybe they were there for other things. But it, you know, being that all of our other location shots for this episode involved you know Luca and Abby and Benton, not not involving Mark or Malucci, it seemed maybe they were there for some other episode because they did film stuff in Chicago out of order. Um, yep. But apparently they filmed this at Johnny's Ice House on Madison Street. Oh, cool! Where the Blackhawks uh, practice. There you go. So Blackhawks practice. Uh, maybe some of these are like Blackhawks minor leaguers at the time who knows uh but then from there carter runs into carrie in the lounge he's putting his stuff back on and getting back to work and came back in to finish his shift she wants him to take it easy but he's like no i really for me i need to finish this i am going to a meeting after the shift though so like he's still looking out for himself and making sure he's doing the steps and doing what he needs to to not let the trauma overwhelm him so go, good on Carter for being responsible and taking care of himself and listening to what he needs. Good boy, Carter. Um, Luca and Abby have brought in the assailant into the ER. He has had two seizures on the way over, and he was given Ativan Ativan en route. And Lizzie calls Carter in to help. And another seizure on the table with vomiting. Gross. Great. Fun. Yep. Uh, let's go to our last audio clip here. Benton stops in to see Carla at her restaurant. Hey, Carla. Peter. Uh, we need to talk. Here, okay? Really busy tonight. Sure. Here you go, pick it up. Table eight first. Thank you. I called the hospital. They said that Reese could stay until the end of the month. Good. That gives us a little more time to find another daycare center. It's going to be hard finding a place he loves more. Yeah, I know. Listen, uh, I just got a, an attending position at Hahnemann in Philadelphia. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. So we just need to work out Reese's visitation schedule. Uh, maybe he could fly down every other weekend or something. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're not really suggesting that I put my son on the plane by himself, are you? Carla? We have joint custody. In Chicago. I already took the job. Mm. Wish that had worked for me when I wanted to move. What are you talking about? That was Germany. That's nine hours away. That's completely different. No, it is completely the same. What is this, about payback? No, this is about our agreement. Now, either you stay local or you give up custody. I can't find a decent position here. Oh, that's right. You have your career to think of. The rest of us just have jobs. Table six needs more this bread. This is the only way for me to keep the momentum going. Yes, and Germany was Rogers. No, Carl, I'm asking you not to do this. I'm not doing anything. I'm just playing by your rules. Ten thousand percent on Carla's side oh, here. Oh, hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Like no as, doubt. As high a percentage as you want to put it on above a hundred. I am on Carla's side here. Yeah. Benton did this absolutely to himself. Right. Yeah. Care, careful not to prick yourself there, Petey, because she there's a lot of points on that yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Like just that statement. I'm just playing by your I'm just playing by your rules. Right? Like why how else did he think that was gonna go? Like he came in He assumed I think he 
like what Carla said. Oh yeah, well, you have a career while the rest of us just have jobs. Yeah, she just makes point so, after point after point. And I'm like, damn, Carla, just get it. Like, first of all, I'm glad. I'm glad yeah, we remembered Carla it. existed, and I'm glad that we didn't forget that she owns her own restaurant. Like, I'm glad that they didn't just you know completely uh, emasculate her character, just leave her out in the cold. Like, oh yeah, she's just this annoying uh, baby mama that we bring out from time to time. It's like, no, actually, she has her own life and her own like thoughts and opinions and sometimes you know for a character that i don't usually like sometimes she has a point and sometimes she's right and sometimes she's psychic and knows the table six needs bread even though she hasn't been <laughs> right, on yeah. this entire conversation the biggest so like there wasn't very much of interest on the the like trivia or the goofs section for this episode uh, but the one thing that i did think was like hilariously nitpicky was how there was this whole detailed entry written about how carla which should not be allowed in that kitchen with her hair uh, out without a hairnet or anything <laughs> like that was that somebody pointed that out as a goof and i was just like all yeah. right come on at least not at that part of the kitchen. You could probably be like a, like an expert, a runner, or whatever, yeah. a runner, yeah. But. However, whatever the term is, but yeah, not around all the pots and pans and shit. You should really have that t- tied back at least. But uh, hell of a plate throw there by Peter, expert. Like, I wonder how many takes so, that took. So rude. That's what I was at. I was like, that's so fucking rude. In her place of business, when when you put her through the same shit. I thought you, and suddenly, I thought you were going to be coming at it from the the perspective of whoever's food that was at their table. So yeah, rude. Also, Ten more minutes yeah. that person's going to have to wait no. for their food. Also, more more so for the staff because they've got to clean it no, up and remake that food. But just mm. as hungry yeah. as I am right waiter, now, I'm thinking of the person first, at the, the waiter table. Has to, yeah, yeah, the waiter has to deal with that potentially angry customer. Just it's just not a good time all around. Yeah. Peter, get your shit together. Right. I know you're mad. I know you're upset and you have reasons to be, but this is not it, chief. Oh, man. Well, where were we? Ah, yes. The pit of despair. Uh, Luca is uh, watching them treat the mugger through the window uh, of the trauma room. Uh, Abby starts to kind of try to like clean up his wound, which we don't get like a super clear view of, uh, except in like brief glimpses off to the corner of the frame. And they actually did a really good job of like uh, mocking in because the, Luca's got pretty like thick hair in the back and so like you could have gotten away with just like a little bit of uh you know fake blood but they really actually went to the trouble of like crafting kind of a a convincing wound I thought um Mm -hmm. and he's like you know fuck off leave me alone you know I don't want to be touched because he's you know still in the throes of PTSD at this moment uh and uh, she's like well it looks like it's gonna need some sutures and he's just like fuck off leave me alone uh, and we get a detective coming in to ask him some questions about the attack. Uh, and the uh, detective here, Detective Stetler, is played by actor Keith Diamond, who appeared in stuff like Awakenings, Desert Saints, and the uh, Men in Black animated series, where he was the voice of uh, the Will Smith character uh, for mm. that entire run. Uh, and he is also making his first of two appearances. So we'll be seeing him again. Nice. Uh, we're back to the assailant trauma. His seizing has stopped, but he is now herniating. His head is pumping blood. Gross. From from the wound. They're just trying to alleviate some of the pressure, and it's not great. Not looking very good. The detective is continuing to question Luca and Abby, and just had some specific questions. But the overall thing is that, oh yeah, it looks like pretty clear self-defense. Is it though? <laughs> Spicy self defense. Yeah. 
just a little like I'm just like that salt the salt thing yeah. or whatever that guy is. <laughs> just, just a, like, sprinkle a little it, bit of head trauma onto your self defense. Yeah. Sprinkle a little gray matter on there. Oh, no. Uh, no. You keep talking about other things now. <laughs> well, we there's just more to talk about with this because Lizzie's working on the guy's head now, uh, trying to relieve more pressure, and he goes into – V-E, right? Uh, as soon as she said burr hole, I was like, nope, nope, I'm out. I'm out. We're drilling holes into people's skulls now. No, thank you. Uh, he's going into V-fib, and he's seizing again. Uh, and back in the other trauma room, Cleo comes over now uh, to try to examine Luca, and he still refuses to be treated, just wants to be left alone and watch them treat the guy. Uh, and then uh, we go back upstairs where we see Benton doing the walk of shame, stopping down at Romano's office and has to come back hat in hand and knocks on the door, and Romano answers wearing some of the ugliest suspenders known to man. Like, damn, those suspenders. Uh, and then one final look brief, briefly back to the trauma where we see they're finally giving up and the gentleman has has passed on, finally. Um, Abby tries to come for Luca, but he walks away from her and out of the ER and out of this phase of the relationship. Hmm, boy. Good episode, though. Solid. I think it's an eight for me, personally. I... Not too much. Like, obviously, you have a... The Lucas stuff will be very have a lot of rep, repre, repercussions. 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 Thank you. Sorry, I fell asleep when we took our break. Here <laughs> I literally fell asleep for five minutes. It was bad. It was very cute. Oh, shut up. Um, you're cute. Um, Why? Thank you. Yes, but like so that'll obviously have a lot of repercussions throughout the rest of the season as he tries to find out the identity of this man and just kind of like he shuts people out again yeah and like he was doing so well he's doing so well and then he accidentally murdered it well and that's the other element of this this whole you know spicy self-defense you know thing that like i i'm okay with more of because like yes you know you could argue that he goes too far and that that he should bear some responsibility for this man's death um but like at least we get to see some of that follow-up where he does struggle with it. Like there's, there's a, there's mm-hmm. an internal struggle. There's an internal battle there. Even if there's not necessarily a legal component, there's still this like feeling of regret and remorse on his part versus say, I don't know, Mark green who, you know, later this season, will just, you know, <laughs> LOL YOLO, like just kill a dude and like never bring it up again and never care. Like, goes through well, no arc briefly bring it up and see right eight, but goes but, but goes through no arc like there is no arc to yeah. speak of he does not question his decision once yeah. luca is absolutely on the beginning of an arc here though yeah exactly seven. so in that respect i think i i like it a little bit I, i'm i'm okay with it yeah but there's just a lot of like kind of like okay stuff in this like it's it's above average with some really good stuff in the form of uh, Romano being a, such a shithead and just getting all of, just yeah. all of the stuff around surrounding Benton I think is really good and obviously that will also have repercussions throughout the rest of the season and into next season as well um, but yeah it's borderline 8 I want to say 7.5 but I'll say 8 to be generous I mean that's <laughs> yeah go for it Six and a half. Oh, wow. Just wasn't feeling it. The double murders really did it for you? That must have been it. The double murders. Just yeah. 
So if we're going to keep track, it, keep score at home, uh, the murder count. <laughs> two. two. Two in two. this episode. I, I don't know. I like, so I think maybe the, um, the, the Mr. Melonstone thing is like, I feel like maybe you could have done more with that. And like, it feels maybe a little bit underdeveloped. Um, and the, the, the first of the two murders, that feels, I think, shock value for the sake of shock value. I mean, I know it, I know it, it, it's what pushes Carter to that other scene with, you know, Gamma and, and, and like, I, I do think that we needed to get there somehow. I just don't know if that maybe was the best way to go about it. Um, but that was, that just seemed to me like a moment for the sake of a moment. It didn't really have any like uh, justification or like just just lacked a certain oomph. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the rest of it, like the the Luca and Abby stuff, I think is good. I think the Benton stuff is strong. I think everything else about Carter's uh, experience this episode, I think, is fine. So I mean, for me, like you know, I don't think it's an episode that I would put in the like pantheon of all time great episodes. But I think it's a solid eight out of ten. I I had. I had very few qualms with it, I should say. Like there, this, there the the stuff, like I, for me anyway, I, I think it's an improvement over last week's episode, at least because last week's episode, this is at least tighter narratively. Mm-hmm. You know, this episode seems much more cohesive and seems much more well thought out than last week's episode, which seemed like it couldn't go more than ten minutes without making a a dick or fart joke. Like last last Fair. week's episode was just yeah. like you know a little bit kind of juvenile whereas this one much more of what we're used to much more i I don't want to say formulaic but just like much more of kind of the the essence that we've come to expect over the last seven years and it little things here and there you could improve upon but i think it's a perfectly solid entry i don't know i just i've found myself this season especially I, i don't know why but this season especially whenever we've been watching i find myself going oh we're only 10 minutes in oh it's only been 20 minutes oh my god we're not even halfway through like and i don't know if it's just the season or if it's just where i'm at personally so i'm just not engaging with the source material as much as i could be Mm, i think it might be a little bit of both but i'm i just this this season so far and i know it's heartbreaking for lizzie because it's one of her favorites but it's it's just not quite landing for me and i know we've got some real winners in here Mm. and i'm very excited for where we have to go but just it's it's been rough and maybe who knows me being alone for four days is going to do us all some good and when when we come back from that i will be i do i do really think uh, you know and as we go along as we get into some of the like heavier episodes like emotional heavy emotionally heavier episodes but also like as the the volume gets turned up on some of these mass casualty episodes and and the the wackety Mm -hmm. schmackety gets turned up over the course of the next few Mm -hmm. years of seasons um i definitely think i mean I, i know it's a lot to ask but i definitely think it would do you a big benefit as the note taker to do two watches like do a notes watch and a fresh watch i'm I'm definitely going to have to start doing that because we're getting to the portion of the show where it's too meaty right. for me to not. The cast is huge get... at this point. As as we saw it's... it with Lizzie posting the cover photo for the social media yeah. stuff the other day, like we've reached the point now where like they have to keep pulling the crane further and further back to fit mm-hmm. them all into the, mm-hmm. the thing. And And like you said, it's only going to keep evolving as far as scope of story and depth. And it's like, Maybe that's why I'm yearning for some of those one patient episodes mm-hmm. right now is just because it's been so hectic that trying to do it for everything is 
it's getting to be a lot, but yeah. So maybe, maybe I will change my methodology for the rest of this season and see if that helps and just have one where I chill, watch it, maybe even by myself. Yeah. It doesn't have to, doesn't have to involve me, but just watch it by myself and then watch the notes episode. And we'll see if that makes a difference on my ratings. Cause like we said, that could very well be a part of it is it's just, I'm not getting a chance to experience yeah. it and bond with the source even, material quite as much. Yeah, even if you just have it on the background, like, listening to it while you're doing something at work or something. I would want to actually, like, fair. Okay, give, fair. Give, it a, give it a cut. I wouldn't want to be working while I was watching. I'd want to give it at least two-thirds of a watch. Fair <laughs> enough. What do the listeners have to say about it? Uh, Lori O says, Ugh, this episode is so hard. Luca and Abby had about two scenes of happiness as a new couple before that fateful walk by the waterfront. I've always... I've honestly always... I've honestly always hated the way the writers chose for Luca to react after the attacker's death. I get that he was horrified that he lost control, sickened that he just killed someone with his bare hands, that he was so cold and just plain mean to Abby in the aftermath. It was almost if it was almost as if he sort of blamed her. Like if she hadn't been there to protect, it never would have happened, which obviously makes no sense. I've always wondered why this incident was written to happen on the same night as Luca and Abby's first date. Selfishly, I would have preferred a few happy weeks of their new relationship before this had to happen. The writers seem to enjoy torturing fans with these two. Jen T says, oof, this episode. I simultaneously love and hate it because they give us so much adorable lead up, Abby asking Luca out and him jumping on it immediately and the beginning of the date. Luca's terrible flirting and Abby being smitten yet indulgent, which is a through line of their entire relationship, is too fucking cute, and I can't believe the mugger happens in this episode. Let these two be happy for five minutes without a tragedy show. All caps. The chemistry was there from the start with the two of them, and only gets deeper as their stories start to intertwine. They're both such complex characters that it's hard to think of one without the other. For me, at least, it's why their relationships with other people never landed well, particularly Carter and Sam, but we'll get to that. These two had chemistry in spades, and I maintain it's because of... Guys. <laughs> Guys. Guys, shit. Jen put this in there just for me. Why do I always blank on this? We've been doing this. He's been on the show how many seasons? Throw me a bone. Uh, one. Somebody? <laughs> one in one in a little extra. Point is, I shouldn't be messing this up by now. Lizzie, throw me a bone. I don't remember off the top of my head either. I'm so bad. Gorin. It's not that hard. Gorin. Gorin. Okay. okay. Wait, guys. It rhymes with my name. Duh. Okay. Gorin. Got it. Figured it out. Now I know. Great. Gorin and Mira and Mora's. Now I almost said Mira. Fuck. <laughs> Gorin and Mora's real life relationship. Friendship. Fuck. Uh, they read each other. They read each other and play off each other so well. It's hard to believe the writers took the long way around for them. I won't get into the fandom divide over Luca's actions here, except to say that if you hate Luca because of this and still stand Mark, maybe reflect on that. Smiley face. I'll also have a lot to say about Luca being sacrificed on the Carby altar when we get to the Luca Abbey breakup fight. Fair warning. Anyways, Romano was a shit. Benton should have sued his butt off. Grace B says, Oh, hey, it's Anthony from the West Wing. I thought I recognized Jesse's voice from somewhere. Has he been teenage Jesse this whole time, or is he new? Peter Benton is such a larger-than-life person to me. There's something abrupt, I guess. I used a, th a thesaurus to filter through my two languages, and that's the best I got, about hearing him called Uncle Peter. 
I love Dr. Jingmei Chen so much, that is all. It's always fun when we get a reminder that Carter was almost a surgeon and that those skills and that knowledge are retained. And no matter how many times I watch this episode, I never see the twist coming. Until the girl answers, her sister. I'm just watching this like any other trauma, any other- I'm just watching this like any one-off trauma, and then I say, oh, fuck, that's right, about the time the gun goes off. The scene between Gamma and Carter is my vote for best of the episode. It affects me for personal reasons, so I just want to highlight it because Frances Sternhagen is, in, is fucking incredible, and it's not common for older actresses to get space to steal the scene and fucking shine the way ER gives us Gamma. Also, Frances Sternhagen is 92 years old and still kicking. I'll just go ahead and say I agree with whatever Jen has to say about Cockhart. I don't even need to read it. We're on the same page. Jake, I know you're mad, but I still love Luca. I'm not sorry. And I love Cleo's moment with Abby and Luca. She has so much character potential. God damn it, writers, how could you? In conclusion, I'm obligated to be both a Bruins and a Red Wings fan, but I can never think of ice hockey the same way again. P.S. Can't believe I forgot Mr. Melanston. God bless him and God bless Kim Legaspi. Amen. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week, and for only $5 a month, you get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over 50 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, and movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, folks can find me continuing to rage about the American political system on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345. Second week in a row, abortion is healthcare. That's all. I just, I'm still mad. Stay mad. That's a that's a good thing to be mad about. Stay mad, folks. Uh, and then you can also find me on Twitter doing less raging, but still, that, I'm raging internally. Um, I'm at random gamer. That's JM3R. Um, thanks again everyone very much for listening please join us again next time have a great week